welcome to Fantasy Feud, a featureless baseball podcast where we're tackling the most relevant debates in fantasy baseball each week. I'm Sarah Sanchez, and I'm here with my co-host, Shelly Verstrait, to talk through both sides of some of the hottest fantasy baseball debates right now with some of the greatest minds in the industry. Uh, we're in draft season right now, and we did the Glarf draft last week. So if you've not listened to Fantasy Feud number three, go back and check that one out. But this week, we are moving on to DARF. There'll be a little bit more information about the Earth Leagues in a second. But yeah, Shelly, uh, how'd the DARF draft go? Um, it went, it went pretty well. Um, you know, we had like some snow and inclement weather, um, in DC. So sadly I couldn't make it, uh, to the draft and, um, uh, our guest will tell us about his, you know, his, his prep and all that other stuff. But I mean, I, I think it went okay. Um, yeah, I, I would, I really wish I could have, you know, met up with everyone. Um, but yeah, it was, it was all right. Uh, weather interrupting live drafts is the worst. That happened with Glarf last year. We had the live draft scheduled for ages. And then the night before, a huge snowstorm hit the Detroit area. And so all of our Michigander friends were basically snowed in. So we lost Govier and we lost Deary and we lost Marty. We lost like a ton of our friends. So um, much better weather this year with our draft in Cleveland. Although in our little Twitter DM, lots of discussion about whether we are disadvantaged for not having waited the extra weekend until after pitchers and catchers reported because there are just a ton of injury news and revelations coming out that we didn't know about when we were drafting and y'all <laughs> y'all had some extra knowledge we can we can talk through that a little bit but before we do i want to introduce our guest for today's episode randy haynes randy's been playing fantasy baseball since middle school so it's like close to 20 years and you probably know randy from either being in a league with him or as a guest on Rob DiPietro's Pool Hitter Pod, which is a must listen, especially if you are following all of the news about the Champions League from afar. How's it going, Randy? Great. Uh, thank you both for having me on. Yeah, Rob and I will be doing um, updates throughout the season about the Champions League. Shelly, you're playing in that, right? I am. I was like, I I thought am, I was, yeah. yeah, I thought I saw your name on the list. Um, so it'll be It'll be, uh, it's a great concept um, for anyone that isn't aware of it. It's three formats that you get one entry in each, and they're all three formats are thrown into one overall standings, the top 15, and that will be in an auction uh, next year, um, which is referred to as the Champions League, kind of played off of the the European soccer. Uh, I'm, I probably just botched that. I'm not a soccer fan, but I know that's kind of where it came from. So some. <laughs> Something there with European soccer is where the Champions League name comes from. But uh, sounds, yeah, so him, what's that? Sorry. Oh, keep going. No, I, I keep going. No, I was, I was just gonna wrap the, that. That's I don't. That's really the only thing I'm doing, kind of industry wise. I just I love to play, so I'm yeah, like you said, I'm I'm drafting a lot, uh, playing in a lot of leagues, too many leagues probably. Um, but that's where you can find me throughout the season. I love the concept of the Champions League so much. I'm not playing in the Champions League. I got I to gotta like work my way up. I still got to do my first main event. And then, you know, maybe someday off in the future, I'll be in some future Champions League. But honestly, I just want to do play by play of this auction next season. I think it's going to be the most intense auction ever. And they should sell tickets to it because I really just want to watch the auction. They have talked about doing, I don't know, if necessarily being like announcing. And I know that... Um, I, I know at one point you can't actually live stream anything in Las Vegas. Like if they put blockers on your phone, I don't know if that's still the case now. Um, but yeah, that's, that's an option. Maybe you could th hit up Toby and, and see if he's 
looking for somebody to announce it next year. I mean, I'll just have to go to Vegas. That's all. <laughs> we're, we're terrible, terrible yeah. damage to have to go to Vegas in March. <laughs> um, I apologize in advance that my voice is a little bit in and out today, but I think we're going to make it. Uh, let's talk a little bit about DARF. You won DARF last year, Randy. Is that correct? I did. I did. And uh, so this it, it was a tight... Oh, sorry. It was a tight race. Um, Tom Rodriguez, who won it the first year, was in first for a lot of the second half, and I kind of stole from the last few weeks. But yeah, it was a. Uh, it was a. He kind of ran away with the first year, but last year was a pretty tight race. Listen, as the girl who won Glarf on the last day two seasons ago, I there's nothing wrong with chasing somebody down. That's at the, the only end. day that matters. That's the <laughs> only day that you need to be in first place. <laughs> Um, DARF is the DC area Roto Fantasy League, if I am not mistaken. And for those of you who are not familiar with the Earth Network of Leagues, they are all over the country. I think we have 11 or 12 of them now. And two parts of this are super fun. The first is that they're mostly live drafts or regional drafts where people know each other. So it's got this little social element to it that's a bit different than the leagues we all play in where we're drafting online all the time. And the second because we've got a charity component. So there is an overall competition for the leagues where Glarf competes against Tarf, competes against Darf, competes against Barf. And the winner, the league winner, gets the pot to donate to charity at the end of the season. And I I'm just not going to be shy and say that Glarf has won the last three years in a row and we were able to head over uh, to Arupe to donate that check to some people who are doing some great work with families in Cleveland, which was super fun. Um, there are some pictures of the kiddos and, and our league mates interacting over there in Cleveland. Shout out to Jake Halisker for finding just an amazing charity to work on there. Um, yeah, it was, it was super fun. Uh, always good to do something for the kids. I know that a bunch of leagues are trying to chase us down now, though, so I feel like we have a target on our back. <laughs> so I know that DARF went from a live draft to a slow draft midway through because of the weather. So I'm curious, what round are you all in? Are you done? Yeah, it's done. Yeah, we just finished today. Yeah. 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 Excellent. Fun. This drafting with the, uh, I'm just north of Baltimore and we haven't, this year is the first year we've gotten snow in like three years. So drafting with snow on the ground was kind of, I don't know that I've ever really done that in my life. Like an actual, <laughs> like sitting, I mean, I had like slow drafts going on throughout the winter, but like sitting down in front of my computer, having my setup and there's snow outside. That was, that was a new one. I kind of, I kind of enjoyed it. Well, and my recollection of the Beltway is that snow cancels everything from like DC <laughs> up to Pennsylvania. It's it's a place that gets snow and is always surprised by it. Yeah, yeah, it's it's it can get pretty <laughs> it can get pretty pathetic around here sometimes when it, when there's a little <laughs> bit of snow. It's just even in the forecast, like there's no milk left on the shelves. Like they're calling for two three inches of snow, and everybody everybody freaks out. But it was fine for me. It was it was a weekend, and I uh, was able to take my son outside uh, in the morning and. And let him play out front. So it worked out. Amazing. So a little bit of a reminder for the rules of the road here. We tried this format out in episode three. We're going to keep it. Uh, we may adapt it a little bit as time goes on. We're going to set a clock. So we the moderator will rotate on each of these topics. Uh, you get three minutes to make your case and three minutes to refute that case. There's a question and answer period between debates of two minutes where you can get some clarifying information. 
and what your opponent is going up for here. And then each uh, debater gets a one minute rebuttal. We're going to try to keep it pretty tight. And we're going to get through a bunch of topics today. It should be pretty fun. We're going to start out, uh, ironically, with one of the topics that we started out in the first episode. But now we have a case point to talk about. Ellie De La Cruz goes in the third. And if you recall from the first episode, we had a pick your cruise debate between Ellie or O'Neill. Uh, and I, I think I was the one who picked Ellie and everybody else was more in on O'Neill. But in this particular draft, Shelly took Ellie. Shelly took uh, that's going to get confusing. Shelly took Ellie <laughs> in the third. Uh, let's talk a little bit about why you took Ellie De La Cruz. And Randy, tell us a little bit about why he did not. As a point of reference, uh, Shelly and Randy were, debate, were drafting right next to each other. So we've got lots of good information and snipe points and all of that jazz. But Shelly, you get to go first. Uh, yeah, it definitely was not in my plans to take Ellie um, at all. Um, I was going to go hitter, hitter. That was kind of like my plan, unless, um, I was able to get like Strider or Cole either in the first or second round. Well, Strider in the first and Cole in the second, that was kind of like my plan, but that didn't exactly happen. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to go hitter, hitter. And maybe one of those, those elite quote unquote elite, I think they're elite starting pitchers would come back to me that I really wanted to have as like my number one guy. Uh, but they all kind of went. So, and Ellie was on the board and I'm just like, you know what? Everyone's been saying, Oh, don't take him in the second. Don't take him to second. Well, I took him in the third. So I feel okay about it. Um, we'll see how it goes. Um, it could be like a whole boom or bust thing. Um, but you know, it's going to be fun to actually have him on like one team because he's like an electric player to watch. And at least I'll have like, like a really exciting player on my team. Just, I hope it goes well. I don't know. It wasn't part of the plan, but he was there. So I took him. Yeah. You know, and I like that you stuck with this. Um, For the record, Shelly was drafting 10th and started with Juan Soto, which I love for you. Cause I know how much you love Juan Soto, Francisco Lindor, and then Ellie De La Cruz. But, and I think that's a really nice hitter stack in terms of skills and in terms of what you're going to get. I mean, worst case scenario, Assuming Ellie sticks with the big league club, he's probably going to steal 30 to 50 bags. Like the man just runs all of the time. Even if he's striking out, all he has to do is get on base. He can steal three bags. Yeah. But I'm curious, Randy, you were drafting right before Shelly here and you did not take Ellie. You went a different route entirely. So tell us a little bit about why you were not interested in Ellie in the third. Yeah, I, I'm not someone that thinks Ellie is going to be demoted at any point or start the year in the minors. I don't, I think he would have to be, very, very bad um, to even end up in a platoon. Maybe he gets dropped in the order. There's a lot of talent in the Reds lineup, so maybe that happens. I fully acknowledge that he could be – it could happen as soon as next year, but we're probably looking at a player that's going to have a, you know, what, three, four, five-year run at least as a first-round pick, a first-round fantasy pick. But I, I still think just with the expectations for this year and with the potential batting average uh, issues that could maybe arise there, I didn't love – having him be one of my first couple of hitters. Now with, I do think with what Shelly did having Soto Lindor's not the greatest batting average asset, but you know, he's not going to kill you there. She did kind of have that floor built in to where it makes sense to take Ellie. Um, I started off with Strider and Ozzy Albies. Albies has a decent batting average floor, but he's probably, probably not going to end up hitting 300 too often. So that was kind of where I went there. I've had a, I haven't really had a ton of opportunities to take Ellie though. So if I, I 
there's a couple people that, or a couple players that went um, before my pick. I was actually planning on jumping up Edwin Diaz, and that didn't happen. I was not. I was kind of not expecting that. Uh, Adley Rutschman went right before me. I wasn't planning on taking Adley, but I also didn't have him pegged to go there. So I know we'll get a little more into Seager with later into the show, but. I'm not against Ellie, but I'm just, I'm probably not going to end up with him because he rarely falls late into the third. And I just think there's so many, there's just so much more. I know what I'm getting with a lot of other guys being taken that early. You know, that's kind of, that's kind of where I'm at. I will not be taking him in the second, but I could probably talk myself into it in the third. I mean, I have a couple Luis Robert teams. There's really like, if you think about it, not a ton of difference between the two in yeah. terms of the downside. So, but I, I'd have to go back and look. I'm, I would imagine when I took Robert, they were kind of real early in draft season. Like I think some gladiators that's Ellie was already off the board. That was when he was like at the height of like, he always went in the second round and now kind of the little bit of the group thing starting to set in. So Ellie's starting to slowly, slowly drift down draft boards, but I, I'm not going to take him over most in most situations, but I'm not, I'm not against that. I'm not, I know there's plenty of, there's plenty of thoughts out there that like, it's a terrible pick in the third round. I don't think that at all. I think he's, He's going to be amazing one of these years, and it could very well be this year. Yeah, I don't think it's a bad pick at all. I mean, the the talent is so high, and the skills are so loud. You watch him play, and you see it immediately. Like, just the speed, how hard he hits the ball, how how his arm strength, all of it is so in your face and incredible. Although you did hit on something there, Randy, that I, re- I want to dig into a little bit with this question and answer period, because Luis Robert going – three picks before Ellie De La Cruz. I, I, I zeroed in on that too. I don't really love Robert more than I like Ellie. I think I would rather have Ellie on my team. And so I'm curious for each of you and Shelly, I'll start with you. Where is that line of like, okay, we've reached the point of players where I'd rather have the upside of an Ellie than this particular outfielder or this particular catcher or, or where is it for you? It doesn't have to be a particular round, but where is that player point? Um, like what, what's play point to, to either take Ellie or, uh, Luis. Yeah. Like I would take Ellie over Luis. I think like if those yeah. were the last two players in my queue, I'd be like, okay, well I, it's Ellie De La Cruz time. And I'm, I'm curious where that point comes for each of you. Yeah. I mean, I think it definitely comes around there. I was actually surprised that, uh, Robert went where he did. I wasn't exactly expecting that. Um, I, I do agree with you, Sarah, that I do like Ellie more than Robert, just because you're going to have third base and shortstop, which it gives you, especially like so early in a draft, it gives you like a, just this, this little itty bit more of flexibility. I know you need in these 15 team leagues, I know you need like five elevators. So, you know, maybe it's not as of a big of a difference, but it just, I don't know, in my mind, it gives me just a little bit of, flexibility and then i just think well i think we all think that the reds are going to be better than the white Sox. so mm-hmm. um yeah i just i'm just definitely um definitely hit um ellie over Luis. yeah i have i have a full disclosure i have robert slightly ahead of ellie de la cruz um in my rankings but it's close and the tiebreaker for me I don't want to say like so much of the tiebreaker, but why he's why I have ahead of him is I started using full time last year um, Tanner Bell's SGP spreadsheet um, for anyone that's not familiar with that standing gains points, 
and it really weighs, it kind of lays out batting average. It's a, just a category that's kind of, kind of forgotten. And even though Robert is not, a, you know, a 300 plus hitter, the batting average downside that Ellie has does have it below that for me, but it's, it's not a lot. There's only a few players in between the two. And I could definitely, I mean, I could definitely by, by like the end of, you know, the last couple of weeks of March, talk myself into, ah, I know what the numbers say, but like you touched on the, the White Sox lineup is, is not good after the first couple. Now he will hit, you know, in the top you know, three or four of that order, which like, like we mentioned, Ellie, if he does struggle, might have to drop to seven, eight or nine, which is going to, going to shrink down his plate appearances. But it's, it's a tough, I, I don't there. And obviously we didn't even mention you know, Robert's injury history, which is pretty, pretty extensive. Yeah. So right now I have Robert, but ask me again in a month, I might've changed my mind. <laughs> totally fair and that's a great shout out for tanner bell's sgp tool i think that that's a that's a really nice tool for evaluating uh some of these decisions each of you gets one minute for your rebuttal shelly you started us off so you get to go first uh yeah um ellie in the third it's fine it's not ellie in the second and when everyone was doing it so i'm totally cool with it <laughs> yeah uh I, I agree, but I'm supposed to rebuttal, so I'm going to say <laughs> don't take eighth-place hitters in the third round. That'll be my rebuttal. <laughs> fair, fair, fair. Play, hit, hitters hitting eight, sorry. You know, I, I just want to use that uh, – amazing conversation as an opportunity to talk about the fact that one of the things people keep telling me about the show, they're like, you need to debate more. And I, I think that's because everyone has this idea of debate as like, you have to be at each other's throat. And I picture that meme where there's like the girls on Bravo and they're like screaming at each other over the table or whatever. I don't think that's what debate is. I, I do this for my day job. I actually think that it, it's about disagreeing about small elements of something and coming to a better conclusion. Debate at its finest is having a deep discussion and having a small disagreement over like a handful of points and getting to a much better spot, right? Which is why ostensibly, if we were doing this political debate thing well, we'd be talking about things like, I have this 12-point plan to solve immigration, and I have this 13-point plan to solve immigration, and then we would, like, compare them and have a conversation, but we just, we don't do that in this country anymore for whatever reason, so I think that was an excellent <laughs> debate, even though we all seem to be just a tiny bit apart in terms of where we would take Ellie, and for the record, I have not drafted my Ellie De La Cruz team yet, but it's going to happen, so watch out, y'all. <laughs> We're going to move on to number two and we're going to stay with uh, we're going to stay in this third round for a second with Corey Seager, because Randy, you took Corey Seager, who is one of my favorite players, but an injury risk. And it looks like he might start on the IL this year, right before Shelly took Ellie. And I think Shelly is going to moderate this one. Yeah, um, I was actually kind of hoping that Seager would come to me and I didn't have mm -hmm. to take Ellie. So, yeah, it was, I'm really curious um, I guess we kind of like talked about it a little bit before, um, but why did you go Seager there when you know that he already has an injury um, and then he's had injury issues throughout his career? So you're already starting with a quote unquote hurt guy. Um, yeah. Yeah. Normally it's not a strategy that I normally it's not a strategy that I love. Uh, like I said, my plan was originally for Edwin Diaz and uh, Sully, who I, I messaged him instantly when he took uh, Edwin Diaz with the sixth pick of the third round. That he just kind of kind of screwed me a little bit because I was I was all I was just already to do it. That would have been like one of the min picks of Diaz for all draft season. And he he kind of just said he didn't care. 
He's, he was going to ruin my day. So. Um, I had as fallback plans, like you, you actually mentioned a little bit, maybe some of the low end aces falling Pablo Lopez, um, maybe get lucky in Luis Castillo falls, probably not more likely a Pablo Lopez and Pablo went, uh, the 12th pick of the second round. Um, Lauren Auerbach took him and I was, it was kind of those things where I was like, all right, you know, Seager's still out here. I mentioned, you know, using, using SGPs, his batting average, just even when I lower his plate appearances and I don't have just the traditional plate appearances that are in there that bakes in for his injury. I even lowered them even a hair more because of, again, his history. And I kind of just, I don't fully trust him. And I know it sounds stupid to say you're taking a guy you don't fully <laughs> trust in the third round, but it's still, even with lowering his plate appearances, he is the 20, yeah, 20th best hitter on my sheet as of this moment. So I kind of, and then we talked about Ellie, um, the difference there is why I didn't take him. And then a couple of the hitters after that, I love Randy Rosarena. He's, he's somebody that I think I might get aggressive with in a draft or two um, before the season starts. I just kind of went like, well, if, if the news comes out being positive on Seager in another month and he's going to be ready for opening day, this mid mid to late third round price isn't going to be an option anymore. So that's how I kind of viewed it. I know that's not the most, uh, the most ringing endorsement of my third round pick, but that's, that's kind of where I was at. And I, I liked, I, I liked pairing him with Albies as well to really get that, really nice batting average runs scored and RBI's foundation. I mean, the through, through two rounds to have two guys like that, that are, you know, exactly what you're getting when they're out there is, is I think is huge in the deeper, the deeper the league you get. Uh, yeah. So full disclosure, I'm going to make this stay away from Seager case, but I just took him <laughs> late in the second round in a draft that I am doing at this moment in time. So a little bit earlier, then you took him here. And I feel really good about that pick um, for all the reasons that you just laid out. I think that he is a plus bat. He's playing in a great situation and we don't really know. It's not an injury where it's like, yes, he's definitely missing a couple weeks or even he's missing four weeks or whatever. It's kind of this gray area of, could he be ready for the start of the season? I don't know. And everything that Seeger is saying leans towards an optimistic read. Now, admittedly, that's reading tea leaves, and we don't know how accurate and every that is. every player is optimistic yeah. about their injuries. <laughs> that shapes that it's shapes the of their that, life. It's the ones that aren't optimistic that you have to really worry about. <laughs> Indeed, Anthony Rendon, looking at you, but that is a debate oh, no. for another day. Um, no, but so I'm about to make a case that I clearly have deviated from in a couple of situations. The thing for me about staying away from Seager in this particular type of league is that I have learned my lesson the hard way in 15 teamers on the NFBC that having those injured guys in your early picks almost never works out. You wind up nursing them back to health. You have such a limited bench. And for those of you who maybe don't play a lot on the NFBC, you have no injured spots on that site. You only have your seven reserves and some of them have to be pitchers. Some of them have to, you want those to be guys that you can use almost immediately. And Seager is a question mark as to whether he will be useful immediately there. And, and I think that limits your options later in a draft in the same way Shelly was talking about the two position eligibility for Ellie opening up your options later in a draft. And so I'll just give you an example from the draft I'm in. I took Seager. So I knew I needed somebody at shortstop who was probably going to be ready for opening day, who doesn't have an injury issue. I got to a point in the draft where the top two guys in my queue were Tommy Edmond, 
who I love for all the positional flexibility that you get there, second base, shortstop, and outfield, or Anthony Volpe, who I worry a little bit about the second year, like downturn a little bit. I'm not sure if he's truly a 2020 guy or if he's going to really step it up this year. And I had to go with Volpe because Tommy Edmond has a wrist injury, and I don't know when Tommy Edmond's going to be able to play. And I cannot start week one of the season with both of my shortstop options hurt on my bench. So it was like, let's go Anthony Volpe. And I, so I find that Seager limits what you can do later in a draft. And he limits you super early because you're taking that injury risk in like the first two or three rounds. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's totally fair. Um, I'm trying to think of like, are there any other injured guys that we know of that like were like the first two rounds or so? I mean, the only other guy that I can think of who I've been avoiding is Shohei Otani. Okay. And I know he's out there swinging and hitting bombs and the Dodgers are showing him off and he's going to do Otani things. But the last time he had Tommy John, the next season was his worst offensive season ever. Admittedly, he put up like a 120 WRC plus, Mm -hmm. but still bad by Otani standards. And we just watched Bryce Harper come back from the same thing. And like he had like five home runs and 300 plate appearances before he finally became Bryce Harper again. And I just, those are the two guys that I'm like Seager and Otani. I feel like limit what you can do later and they do it super early, even though I love them. That's fair. I I agree with what you're saying with Otani. I have, I'm not, I don't, I'm not going to end up with him just for everything you just said. Um, Recovering from that injury, not possibly not starting on time. And you have to, I mean, there's no Otani discount. There's at least a Seager discount right now. You know, he's dropping, dropping a handful of picks. I mean, Otani goes, I mean, he went at the, he went at the ones who turned in this, in this draft, but he, in a lot of drafts that I'm in, he's going between anywhere between nine and, you know, the first or second pick of the second round. So there's no, there's no discount right now of him possibly missing any time at all, you know? And I think uh, that's one that's not a lot of people are really talking about that. Um, and obviously people that are drafting don't seem to care. So, I mean, Manny Machado is one. He's not in the top couple of rounds, but he's round. He went late fifth in this. I like Machado if he's going to stay at that price. I mean, even if he misses the first like week or whatever, or it seems like they pretty much pretty much said he may not be able to play third right away, but he'll at least be able to hit. Uh, so there's he his price is starting to creep up a little bit, though. Um, it seems like he's starting to move back up. But, yeah, there's not a ton. I mean, yeah, you're right. There's not a ton of. Not a ton of injury concerns in the first the first few rounds. I mean, unfortunately, just you know, history tells us somebody's going to have something happen in the next month. So, I mean, I was going to say, Jordan Alvarez always has an injury of some sort, but yeah. I oh yeah, we could not, go, we could right now we could go through yeah we could go through and just say okay, this guy's not hurt right now, but come on, he, <laughs> give it another couple of weeks. But uh, Max, I mean, Max Fried's one that he you know he may or may not still have. Yeah still have forearm issues. He's someone I'm not really, not really interested in taking. I mean, Tyler Glass now. I mean, yeah. Um, (laughs) Tyler Glass now. What? So this is kind of a deviation from the Seager debate for one second, but Tyler Glass now over under 120 innings. Randy first. (laughs) Uh, I'm going to, I'll say under what the heck. I, I would say slight over, but just to be contrarian, I'll say under. Shelly. I'm going to go over, but not by much. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think it's under. And I, 
I love Tyler Glass now, but that gets really tricky, right? Because you don't want to have lots of guys with those injury issues. I feel like you get one. And if you take your shot in that second or third round, that's it for the rest of the draft. You are not taking like there's no Shane Boz for you. Like there's guys later who you are Tommy Edmund, for example. Like you are just not going to be able to dip your toe in that well again. And and that's why I've been mostly out on Seeker this season. Although, like I said, I have him in the Palazzo Listener League draft that I'm doing right now, and I, I feel I feel okay about it, but I've had to be really conservative since that pick. And Glassnow's one with them likely going six-man most of the year. If he does miss any time, he's going to have a lower you know, a lower innings total yeah. anyway. Um, and then if he misses three to six weeks, then, yeah, he could be looking at that 110, 120 real easily. Yeah, totally. Um, all right. Uh, that wraps up debate number two. We are just rolling right along here. We're going to take a quick break for our sponsors. But on the flip side, we have a bunch of really great questions about drafts for your uh, for your perusal on this episode of Fancy Feud. But first, a quick break. All right. Number three, I'm moderating this one. And I love this question because I actually think that this is just kind of one of those meta questions about how you approach a draft. And you can do it differently in different drafts, obviously. But you two have very different builds going on here. And so I'm just going to put the question that I have written down here plainly hitting or pitching first. Uh, Shelly, you said hitting. Why? Um, Because none of the pitchers that I wanted uh, were available to me, essentially. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, this was definitely not the plan. Uh, my first pitcher was Aaron Nola. Um, so I don't necessarily feel great about it. And then my next pitcher was Chris Sale. Um, because I just, I just didn't like the pitchers that were available and I'm just like, oh, I could probably get them the next round. Obviously I didn't, but I just didn't like the pitchers. Like they weren't, they weren't calling my name. I wasn't feeling the love. I, I just, I'm like, no, I'll just continue to wait, continue to get those plate appearances, those RBIs that I really need and stuff like that. And I'll worry about pitching later. Um, I tried to do that last year in this particular league and I totally bombed. So obviously I didn't learn anything. <laughs> um, so <laughs> uh, we'll see if it goes better this year, but uh, yeah, I just, I just, I just stuck with the, my particular player values. And I'm like, I'm not going to push up a uh, pitcher a B and C just because I'm starting to feel the heat. I'm just going to stick with, who I like here and I'll figure it out at some point. You know, I love that mainly because this like is the direct opposite of what I did with the Tarek Scoobal thing. And so that means at the end of the season, we're going to get to revisit this question as to whether I was right to push up a pitcher I didn't like, or you were right to like ask <laughs> and just take all the hitters that you like, which is frankly the type of draft recap type of work that I love to do in the off season. Cause I'm just, I'm goofy and process oriented <laughs> like that. Randy, you said pitching and your build shows it. Maybe tell people who your first few picks were and, and why you said pitching. Yeah. As I mentioned my first earlier, my first three picks were Strider, Albie Seeger. But then after that, I went Emmanuel Classe, Bobby Miller and Joe Musgrove three straight rounds. Uh, then I, I dipped back into the hitting pool and then loaded up again with some other mid-range guys. Verlander dipped in this, uh, so I kind of took the chance there. I, I think he's going to be fine, right? He's already throwing. It's, you know, three, four pounds past ADP. Like, I was like, eh, you know. Uh, Brandon Fott, who I'm a fan of, Christopher Sanchez, Nick Lodolo, who's, I, don't, I guess everybody thinks he's going to start in the minors, but I'll 
I'll take him down there. That's fine. So yeah, I went, but up, anyway, up top was Strider, Bobby Miller, Joe Musgrove, plus class A for four of my, four of my six picks. And I, I think it's one of those things where the deeper the league goes, yeah, everything gets scarce, but you can still throughout the season kind of just find hitters to stream occasionally. Like, all right. And it's super elementary, but you know, the Diamondbacks are going to quarters next week. Like who's available on the Diamondbacks? Uh, you know, the if the there's always a couple of teams that we know their pitching's gonna stink, but then you get a couple of teams that kind of surprise us, whether with injuries, trades, whatever, and you're like, okay, like the A's pitching staff stinks, the Nationals pitching staff stinks, like who do they face next week? You know, who's got some platoon advantages? So you've really like yeah, can't do that. The deeper the league gets in pitching, like you can, you can find like some guys that have have Oakland at home, and you and you pick up a win, or maybe you go with a a reliever, you know, a, a bulk guy that's a follower on the Rays or whoever decides to be the you know be Rays esque this year. And yeah, you'll get some call ups, but it's just having that having that pitching base is just for me. It's very important um, in every league, but the deeper it goes, the the more important it goes, and I like. I like the guys that I got, but I kind of, I kind of wasn't expecting to have to go. I did. I, I pushed Joe Musgrove up, um, and I wasn't expecting to have to do that. And Bobby Miller was another one that kind of fell that I wasn't expecting. So it it evened out. Um, but I think, I just think you can find hitting easier uh, in season than you can good starting pitching. It's an interesting, I, you know, it's an interesting thought process because. Those first picks, you want them to be guys who are on your team all season long, who you don't have to worry about, who you just set and forget. And one of the things that hitting gets pushed up so much in drafts, I find that you can get an advantage going for pitching, if particularly if the rest of the room is following a trend, right? Like if the rest of the room is all going hitting and you go pitching, you push yourself up. And not just one, but like five categories off the top. And then you can try to make up for it later or vice versa. In this instance, and I'm curious what both of you think, because I've noticed this in a few drafts that I've done this season. It feels like last year's baseball environment generally made starting pitchers you can trust a lot more scarce. And we all as an industry are reacting to that. I remember looking at my ratios in the first month of the season and being like, oh my God, that's like a four <laughs> on my ERA. And then I realized that like I was in like fifth and it was, it was not that terrible. So yeah, you were lucky to have, a, you were lucky to have a four. You're bragging. <laughs> like, oh wait. So a 4.5 is the new 3.3. And, and this is very weird to me, but I, I do think that there's a huge advantage potentially for pitching there. And I'm curious, Randy, if you would agree with that. Yeah, I mean, the, unfortunately, we've had different run environments, it seems like, every other year. Uh, so we'll have to see what this one brings. But all we can do is just draft with the information we have available. And I, I think whether they mess with the ball or not, I do think the new rules obviously are not going to – they're not going away. Uh, so right. with the shift, with the shifts and everything, uh, more action on the base path. So I, th- I, I mean, pitching has kind of always been important no matter the, env- the environment, but I think it's – I think it's important to have to have some high and high K guys as well. I mean, because when you do have to dip into the waiver wire, you're usually you can maybe stream some starts and and get it lucky here, get some wins there. But the K the Ks are hard to find as well. I mean, I I am fortunate that you know my ace is Strider. You know he could maybe strike out 300 guys this year. Um, but I didn't want to like I have seen some in drafts that I've been in. Guys will take Strider. 
and then they kind of forget pitching for a while, which is kind of defeating the purpose. You know, you still you still need you still need depth. Like you can't just have Spencer Strider as good as he is and as big as his quads are, he's not going to carry your entire staff the whole season. So uh, he, he can try though. He can he can try with yeah, all of yeah, those he, strikeouts. He yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Shelly, what do you think in terms of zigging when the room is zagging on pitching versus hitting? I mean, that's just that's kind of what I do. I try not to freak myself out. Uh, even though like on the inside, like when I'm watching like all the picks coming through and I'm just like my plan that I had coming in is just totally blowing up in front of me. I just try to calm down and just be like, okay, everyone's taking pitching. They have to take hitting at some point. I'll get pitch. I will. It will quote unquote even out at some point. I will just have more RBIs than Randy has strikeouts. Like it's, it's, it's fine. (laughs) (laughs) It will, you know, it'll balance at some point. It's just kind of just making sure that you just calm down when something is not going your way. Because believe me, this draft at the beginning did not go how I wanted it to go. Um, But I just kind of went with it and took the guys I liked. We'll see how it goes. It might not go well, but it is what it is. Uh, we are in final rebuttals for this one. So, Shelly, uh, I think you kicked us off, so you get to go first. Uh, yeah. Um, try not to get a draft pick right by Randy because he definitely <laughs> sniped me a lot with the pitching at the beginning and totally ruined my draft at the beginning. So, um, <laughs> Is that a rebuttal um, or a personal attack? <laughs> I think that's high praise. I think sniping like that is high praise. It was just very, it was just very frustrating, Randy. Um, but you know, just I guess my rebuttal is go for hitting. It's fine. It'll be okay. You you can, you know, we had some pitchers come up through the minors last year, like Tanner Bybee and stuff like that. I'm not expecting someone like Tanner Bybee or Yuri Perez to come up and just go gangbusters, right? But you will find that one or two starting pitcher that just blossoms um, and maybe you can get him on, on, you know, off the waiver wire and stuff like that. But just, just if it's not going your way, just calm down. It'll be okay. I do think uh, that is like a good thing to live by. Everything's going to be okay. Just calm down um, in general, <laughs> but I am still going to, I'm still going to favor pitching the deeper the league goes. And yeah, we could get a Yuri or a Bybee, but we could just maybe get a bunch of Taj Bradleys also. I mean, even though I do like Bradley this year, like his ERA was, was what, five and a half last year or so. Um, and everybody's spent a lot of money on him. And and then they had the whole yo-yo going back and forth, up and down from the minors and all that raised nonsense. So yeah, I mean, not every, not every year's got Yuri, Bybee, Bobby Miller, Bryce Miller, Brian Wu. I mean, who else, who the heck else have we forgotten? Like, I mean, I I'm actually going to... We're not, we're not getting eight or nine dudes again this year, I don't think. Yeah. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to throw one other name out there, though, because I do think it's worth remembering that one of the most valuable pitchers last year was Justin Steele, and he went, what, in, like, the 19th round? Like, that was a dude who could win your league yep. that you could have gotten super mm-hmm. late. And admittedly, if I if I could predict the next Justin Steele, I would make a ton of money, right? Like, if I knew that the next Justin Steele was sitting out there in, like, Reese Olsen or something, that would be bankable. But I don't. I think that it is worth remembering that some guy who is going in like round 17 or later this season is going to skyrocket to the top of our boards in like May. Oh yeah. There's definitely going to be a guy or two that's in that, in like what you're saying, the, you know, 16th, 17th, 18th round. But I mean, 
you know, if, if you could pick exactly which ones it's going to be, you would take them in the eight, you know, seventh or eighth round. So, I mean, sixteenth yep, round in this draft, there was what like seven starters alone, just in that or six. Math's hard, but yeah, I mean, just right then, just there, that's six guys, and one of them's probably going to be really good. One of them's going to get hurt. Two of them are going to be okay. One of them's going to really stink and be cut by May. It's just, <laughs> yeah. it's just the game we, it's just the game we play. It's the best part of fantasy baseball. We're going to move on to our next debate here. And uh, Shelly is going to moderate this one. Slow drafts versus fast drafts. Shelly, set us up here. Yeah, um, because I have um, a humongous, huge take when it comes to this. Uh, <laughs> so I really, I just really just wanted to like talk this out with y'all. Cause I'm just like, I don't know if I'm on an Island or, or, or what, but I just want to know, like just basic opinions, slow drafts, fast drafts. Um, and we're talking like, not like a, like a DC, not like a 50 round thing because, uh, I've done a fast DC. Um, and that's, that's a grind. Uh, mm-hmm. but just like a regular size league, uh, fast drafts, slow drafts, Randy, you first. Yeah, I mean, especially for a like what you're saying, you know, 29, 30 rounds. I I much prefer a fast draft. I mean, you can get sidetracked, um, but there's yeah, I mean, there's just nothing better than just just having that plan. You know, you're thinking on the fly, like you're just you're just zoned in, like you don't you have no idea what your dog's doing. You know, I have no <laughs> idea what you know. My my wife's on kid duty for the next three hours. Like I'm just I'm zoned in. Um, there's Nothing beats it. I mean, that's that's half the fun, and I think for a lot of people, that's like ninety percent of the fun. You know, is is doing the fast draft. So I'm I'm team fast draft all day. Yeah, slow draft. Uh, you know, for the DC, um, but they can't be too slow. I, I I would rather not play than do a four hour slow draft ever again. After like a couple of years ago, when I when that when I realized they offered like one and two hour clocks, but uh, yeah, team team fast draft. Uh, I'm going to agree on part of this because the four hour clock, I agree, is is way too much. It's like <laughs> I understand. I understand some people don't have access to their computer at work or their phone at work. Like totally. They're they're there for a reason. Um, you just won't find me. in them. That's all. <laughs> no, I'm with you on that because there are I mean, when you can do like one round in a day and that yeah. just keeps stretching over weeks, it, it really does start to feel like Groundhog Day. It's like, is, is it my pick yet? Especially if you're at the ends, you're just like, I might not pick again for two yeah. days. And you lose the feel of it. Like you kind of forget the flow. Like totally. each team, each team has a flow and you kind of have the vibe of like who's drafting around you. If you don't, you know, if you're not, if you're picking once a day, there's no, there's no flow. There's no nothing. Um, I am going to take the side of slow drafts here though. And and mostly that's because as I mentioned last week, the room can speed up on you. And if it speeds up on you at the wrong time, you can really quickly complicate Airs like you can all of you make one air and it turns into two airs and it turns into three airs and you don't even realize it unless you take a second and slow down. And when you have that fast clock running, particularly and just if if y'all did not listen to Fantasy Feud number three, go back and listen to it. It was a great show uh, about Clark with our friend Adam Howe. But the the room sped up on me and I knew I needed pitching, but I didn't have a really long time to sit and look at my pitching ranks and to sort through where the v- best values were. And I kind of just had, I YOLO'd Paul Skeens and then I was like, whoa, Paul Skeens is aggressive right here. Although not really, it was like near his ADP, but it was still a little bit like, yeah, I, I, that's not a very Sarah pick. That's not a pick I would normally make. And so then I immediately had to fix, fix that 
with Reese Olsen and Jamison Tyon, who I like, but I think I could have gotten Tyon a couple of rounds later. I believe in what Tyon's done this offseason. I thought his second uh, half was really good, and I, I think that he's going to be more like regular old Jamison Tyon and not the dude who was getting blown up in the first half last year. I probably could have waited on that, but instead of taking a look at the board and being like, Tyon's not going for like multiple rounds, just get to the break and take a hit or you'll be fine. I was like, no, no, I have to correct this Paul Skeens thing that I just did. And so it was like Skeens, Olsen, Tyon. And when I was looking at it, I was like, why did I do that? I was very (laughs) lucky that that was around 17, 18 and 19. So we had a break at round 20 and I could just kind of like reset. Mm -hmm. Um, But I do think that having that slower clock, even if it's like a five minute clock versus a one minute clock, can give you enough time to resort your sheet or to do strike throughs on guys and see who's still on the board. And I, as a person who like, I, I deal with a little bit of anxiety anyway. Like when the clock starts speeding up on me, I am definitely going to make worse decisions. I need that extra time. So I, a two to five minute clock is probably the sweet spot for me. A one hour slow draft is actually, I love that because it's still moving and your pick's coming to you, but you don't feel pressured like the clock is going to run out on you if you don't look at the action calculator in the next 30 Mm -hmm. seconds. And as draft season moves on, I feel more comfortable with a fast clock because I've been doing a bunch of drafts. Like I've already, like at this point in time, I've done four gladiators and the Glarf draft and a couple of listener leagues. And I feel pretty good. Like I know what's coming next and I don't need to triple check everything. But if it's one of the first drafts I've done, or if it's a different format in a couple of weeks, I'm actually in one week, one week from today is the tout wars, crazy categories league draft. And that's going to be a whole new sheet for me because I, it's the only league I play in that uses on base percentage uh, innings pitched instead of wins and saves plus holds instead of saves. And that is just going to change radically how I calculate things in the middle rounds. And I'm going to have to be referencing that sheet constantly. So hopefully I don't pull a schemes in that draft too. <laughs> the My home league that it's no longer uh, in existence, but it's got, that was what got me into Roto. That's, it was a five minute clock. It was, everybody was live. Most everybody would be live in person together, but it was, it was like a pretty sure we did five minute clock, maybe three, but somewhere in somewhere in there. And then there is a big difference when you have this, that couple, just even that extra like 30 seconds sometimes can make a huge difference. So I, I get what you're saying there, but I just love the, yeah, I love the intensity of the, of the live draft. Yeah. I want same. slightly lighter intensity. Like <laughs> y'all can have like the bourbon whiskey intensity of the fast draft. And I, I, I will take my like, Mango white claw. Well, I don't. I don't. Yeah, I don't recommend drafting on too much on too much bourbon. I mean, maybe a, maybe a sip here and there after you make a good pick or something, or maybe after you make a really bad pick. But I wouldn't wouldn't go too crazy. Not to derail this entire debate, but I was listening to Rates and Barrels earlier today as I was walking around, and Eno mentioned that he decided to treat the barf draft as just like he was going to just drink his way through the draft. And I don't remember exactly how many beers he had during this draft, but it was pretty great. To I mean, listen it does. To- that does sound fun. I mean, <laughs> I, I would, I would, I might pay to be in a room where Eno's drafting after like five beers, just making picks. <laughs> you could have two different drinks. You could have a drink that you like and a drink that you don't like. And after you make a bad pick, you have to drink the one that you don't like. You can make a little, a little game within the game. I was going to say drafts as drinking games sounds like a dangerous business. It's a new form of champions league. People, an entirely different form of that game. 
Uh, I don't I I don't have an additional rebuttal there, Randy. I don't know about you. I th- I think we might have covered this one. We feeling good? Yeah. Yeah, I think I win, obviously. So <laughs> excellent on that note uh, we're going to go to a quick word from our sponsors but on the flip side we've got a couple more debates we also have our love it or leave it and you will not want to miss any of that but first a quick break all right we're back randy is going to moderate our fifth debate and i think this is a great topic because i have been thinking about this a ton in every draft that i have been doing since november and it just keeps going on even though we're in mid-february right now randy what's this topic yeah, the later it gets into the offseason, how do you view drafting unsigned players? And then with within that, kind of the lesser the players get, how how even more worried are you? And my inspiration for this question was Matt Chapman, who I've drafted a couple times early in, in the offseason without hesitation, because I'm like, oh, obviously it's Matt Chapman. He'll sign. Um, but he it is February 20th. He still has not signed. And a couple of the rumors, I mean, the, I don't love the Giants as a rumored landing spot. I mean, obviously, obviously the Giants would be better than him being unemployed on opening day. Um, yeah, I know there's, did they change the rule in the last CBA? Like if you have the, um, if you had a qualifying offer, what happens if you haven't signed by X date? Like it's, at that point, he's better off waiting until June 1st. I don't know. But anyway, yeah, I mean, the Cubs would be, the Cubs would be a decent spot. And I'm just saying that because you're here, Sarah, but and the Mariners would be okay-ish. But, yeah, I mean, I passed on Chapman a couple of different times. I almost took him. And part of, and part of that was because, like I said, I already have a couple shares. But a big part of that was I just – I'm kind of kind of getting a little worried. And right when I was about to do it, Shelly uh, sniped me on that chat. Uh, but he definitely fell way past ADP. He went in the middle of round 22. So as you go down f- – for both of you, as you go down from like your Snells and your Bellingers down into Matt Chapman, JD Martinez, we saw today Ahmed Rosario signs with the Rays. He would have went, you know, two, three rounds higher than he actually did in this draft if the news would have happened uh, before he was picked. So, uh, Shelly, you're going to start? Yeah. Um, honestly, um, I didn't really feel great about the Matt Chapman pick. But again, like you said, Randy, like he just kept falling. And I'm like, at some point he's going to have a job. Like his defense is too good for him to be sitting, waiting for a contract. So I I think that he will get a job and wherever he does land, it's most likely going to be like a full-time job. So, I mean, like the average is going to be horrible, but hopefully he can put his barrels like to the pool side and not, you know, straight up center field so he can hit more home runs. So I, I didn't feel like great about it, but again, it was like the 22nd round. Like it's not, that's not a pick yeah. that's necessarily going to hurt me. Right. So I, I, I took a chance. Uh, hopefully he signs somewhere. Now, great. I was like say, now if he's not signed by opening day. Are you, you just going to hold him? I'm assuming. I think so. I mean, yeah. unless there's like some like weird uh, yeah. news that we're hearing, but yeah, I'll probably hold him because I don't, I, w- I would be shocked if he doesn't have a job on the opening day. Yeah. And then for like your hiring guys, like Snell, Bellinger. I mean, I know Snell matters a little bit because of the park you would have to pitch in, but for the most part, you kind of don't, you, you kind of don't care where those guys sign. I personally, not, not really now. Yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, Sarah, over to you. Oh, I am. I am trying to avoid all of these players. And again, 
do as I say, not as I do, because I also just took Bellinger in this Palazzo Listener <laughs> League thing. But there's a method to my madness here. Like there are players I feel more confident about than others. And and let me dive into that a little bit. I watched a lot of Bellinger last year. I'm super familiar with what's going on with his hard hit rate and the fact that he cut his strikeout rate and the type of contact he was making. The thing I saw from Bellinger actually looked like an adjustment to the circumstances of the new rules more so than an adjustment to Wrigley Field. I don't think he was playing Wrigley any more differently than he would have played anywhere else. And actually, Wrigley's not um, a wonderful park for lefty power. It's a it's a place that kind of kills left, left-handed power a little bit. So what I saw with Bellinger is he wasn't selling out for power. He was trying to make more contact and strike out less. And he did that in a way because he was able to beat the sh- what used to be the shift. Like all of those balls were outs before because they just kind of landed in that shallow right field area where hits go to die for lefties. And now the- now he can turn those into singles. He's still a fast guy, contact-oriented bat. And so I'm not terribly worried about Cody Bellinger going literally anywhere and being able to replicate that trick. I am worried that in five years, he's maybe not a 20 home run bat anymore. I am a little worried that maybe like, year eight of the Bellinger deal looks terrible for next year. I'm not worried about Cody Bellinger. That said, I Matt Chapman had one of the hardest hit rates in baseball last year and had a down year because of the way the blue Jays adjusted their park. And I want to know where Matt Chapman's going to play before I draft him. Blake Snell has been kind of all over the place in his career. High strikeout rates, not terribly good command. One great season followed by a down season. I want to know where Blake Snell is pitching before I pay up for Blake Snell. And I'm not sure what the price becomes where I'm like, no, I'm okay with Blake Snell at this price, even if he's in great American ballpark, but I haven't hit it yet. Right. Jordan Montgomery is the same thing. That is a contact oriented pitcher. I want to draft him. If he has a good defense behind him, if he's playing on the Cubs, I'm in. If he's playing on the Red Sox with Von Grissom and Trevor story behind him, I'm out. Like that sounds awful to me. And so a lot of these are very situational in my mind, and that's a reason that I am not drafting these players. Yeah, and I guess especially with the pitchers, we reach a certain point in spring training where it's like, okay, there's no way they're going to be ready to make the first turn through the rotation, right? I mean, I know these guys are training on their own, but it's a whole different – like they're creatures of habit, you know? You, you think they'd be like – at what point did they just call Boris and be like – yo, get me into camp by the end of the week. Like, this is stupid, you know? <laughs> so, one one would that, hope. Although it, worries I, me a li- it worries me a little bit more with the pitchers than if, like, if, if it takes J.D. Martinez another week to sign, like, he can – J.D. Martinez is going to hit no matter where he goes. So, but the, the pitchers are really starting to worry me, Snell and, uh, Snell and Montgomery, and then I'm not that into your Clevengers or your uh, uh, Michael Lorenzen, but, I mean, the later they go, they're even further on, down my draft board. I mean, the pitchers is a great point here. And I mean, I'm old enough to remember when the Cubs brought in Craig Kimbrell after that, like June 1st, whatever date it was that the qualifying mm-hmm. offer dipped off of him or whatever. Kimbrell had mechanical issues that year that were clearly the result of not having done his normal mm-hmm. routine. He went, I don't remember the exact number of days I wrote about it at the time, but there was a period of multiple weeks where hitters did not offer at his curveball. They were seeing it so well that they were just sitting fastball and launching those fastballs out of Wrigley Field. It was one of the saddest things I've ever seen in my life for a guy who was going to the Hall of Fame someday. And I think about that a lot when I think about 
Blake Snell and Jordan Montgomery. And I'm just like, I don't, I, I don't want any part of whatever mechanical tweaks or things they're missing right now because they're not there with the other pitchers and catchers report. Yeah. Uh, for Shelly, uh, rebuttal. Um, I mean, if, if someone who you think that is going to have like an everyday job, like Matt Chapman falls far enough, go ahead. Um, but uh, on a whole, I'm just like, just avoiding really all of these guys because just the uncertainty with a much higher pick is scary, but if they fall far enough, why the heck not? Yeah. The later they, the later they fall, it definitely, it, it definitely matters. Uh, Sarah, you were I was just going to say, Randy, you mentioned a really great uh, example in the lead up here with Ahmed Rosario, who I, I actually thought Ahmed Rosario was going crazy late for the amount of value that he adds at shortstop, but I understood it because nobody knew what that job would look like. I think that Whit Merrifield, before he signed with the Phillies, mm-hmm. it was kind of the same type of thing. If Whit Merrifield's a starter or the next guy off the bench who's going to get to play four times a week, you feel much better about him <laughs> than if Whit Merrifield is the backup mm-hmm. second baseman and the backup outfielder. I don't, is he the next man off the bench for the Phillies? I'm not terribly certain about that and weirdly I think, I think he's I think he's gonna be in a lot at a lot of spots I mean but he's an example of the lesser the lesser of a real life player exactly. that you are the bigger the risk that it is because Merrifield he's 30 34 35 whatever he is now and he's not the hitter he once was his defensive value has gone down I mean he's gonna he's gonna play a lot for the Phillies and they've already Marsha's already banged up and he's you know second he'd be the first guy up third base any of the outfield spots really so but yeah, I mean, and Rosario, I, I don't really know what what they're going to do. I mean, he's not a good defensive shortstop, but they've Caballero. I guess I sounds like they like him, but I mean, would you bring in Rosario if you really liked him that much? Is he just going to play second and allow DHs more? Uh, it's good that he has a job because he's not he's at the point of his career where it's it's not inconceivable that he just doesn't have a job because he's just you can find Ahmed Rosario's from a real life perspective. Yeah, totally. Prior to him signing that deal, I was like, is he going to try his hand in Korea or something? Like, what exactly mm-hmm. is happening here? And and that's a do not draft for me, for sure. So it's a great question. I've been thinking about it in every draft. I'm glad you brought it up. Um, we're going to move on to the next debate here. And we talked about this a little bit last time. But once again, we have two people who are drafting right next to each other. And this is one of the all-time great fantasy draft debates. So Pew, pew, some sniping talk. Uh, Randy and Shelly were drafting right next to each other. Who did the other take that made you want to flip a table and make this a true episode of Fantasy Feud? Randy, we will start with you. The first time it happened uh, was William Contreras in round six. I had planned out to where I I very, especially, again, the deeper the league it gets, I become a catcher, a catcher snob. I, I don't want to have bad catchers and Shelly had a had a similar build um with her team so I'm assuming she feels somewhat similar but I had pegged out four in the sixth round I was gonna in most scenarios I was like one of Will Smith JT Romuto William Contreras will be there I will take one of them move on to round seven that did not happen not only because Shelly took William Contreras but then uh Steve Gardner took JT Romuto and Kenny Boytrum took Will Smith who actually was the first catcher off the board, which doesn't happen in, in a ton of drafts, but they all three went in a six pick spanned right before I was planning on taking one. So everybody in front of me on top of Shelly uh, sniped me. 
but I backed it up with uh, Wilson Contreras and Sean Murphy going back to back a couple of rounds later. It sort of happened later with, with Bryce Miller, who I'm a big fan of this year. I wasn't, you didn't necessarily snipe Bryce Miller from me, but I had him pegged as like, Oh, I'm going to be cool and jump him up in round 11. Little did I know that Shelly was going to be even more cool and jump him up in round 10. And to top it off, Jack Sawinski, I was getting a little light on power, and but I also kind of needed some speed. I think there's not like batting average upside with him, but I don't think he's going to be like brutal for, for batting average. I think he could maybe hit 240 in his best year. Um, didn't matter. Shelly got him right before, right, right before me. So those are, those are the three big ones. Dalton Varsho was a little bit of a snipe, um, but at that point I still had a list of outfielders. Where I was like, okay, it's not the end of the world. But then that ended with Sawinski. Uh, before Shelly gives us her snipe list and and talks it through a little bit, I just have to say I, kudos to both of you for drafting Contreras. Uh, the Contreras <laughs> brothers are my two favorite players in baseball. I love watching everything about them. And when I saw that, that just made my heart happy. Uh, Shelly, who were your snipes and why? Uh, yeah. So for your B Miller, so for my Bryce Miller, <laughs> uh, you took my Bobby Miller. Um, I don't. I don't want to trade if that's what you're asking. Okay. I mean, I totally would have done that <laughs> because um, I went extremely late with like my first starter with Aaron Nola, and I was really, really hoping uh, to get Bobby Miller. I'm, I, I'm a really big fan of his. Um, the whole six man thing kind of scares me a bit, but I still believe in his talent, and I'm like, oh, he would be. If someone gets hurt in the Dodgers rotation, which you know someone is, um, they could easily go back to that five-man rotation. And I really believe in his talent. I'm like, okay, if I go Aaron Nola, uh, Aaron Nola, Bobby Miller, I will feel completely fine (laughs) with, you know, not getting a pitcher in the first three rounds. Well, that didn't happen. Um, So, yeah, um, instead of going Aaron Nola, Bobby Miller, I went Aaron Nola, Christian Yelich. Um, and my, again, my first two pitchers are Aaron Nola in the fourth and then Chris Sale in the ninth. So it's, it's a, that's a very big difference. So that Bobby Miller one, like that one got me very heated. <laughs> um, um, and then another one was Jaron Duran um, because I think – it was like right around because um, Randy took Jaron in the 11th round and it was sometime around the ninth, 10th, 11th round where it kind of came out that, Oh, the Red Sox are going to have him as their leadoff guy. Like that's what uh, Cora wants to have. I'm like, okay, that sounds delightful. Uh, that, that would be great on my team. Well, uh, Randy must've gotten mm-hmm. to that news too. Um, so <laughs> Didn't get him, but I followed that up with Bo Naylor, so I, I got my two decent catchers, so I guess that was okay. Um, and then the last one was uh, Reese Hoskins. Um, I waited a very long time to get a first baseman. Um, As did I. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, so we had, like, the same, I guess, urge to get a first baseman at the same time. So I was hoping to get Reese Hoskins, but Randy did in the 13th, and then I followed it up right behind him with CES. So who knows how that one's going to go out. Uh, but I really wanted Hoskins. Um, I'm hoping I've, I've been a fan of his, like when he was in Philly, mm-hmm. um, he just seems like a really cool guy. Um, and um, yeah, I think he's going to have a big season um, with the Brewers, but yeah. 
I liked the price you got CES at, and I don't know if this makes any sense, but if I had, not only was Hoskins my first first baseman, he was my first corner infielder at all. Wow. Um, I didn't have a third baseman yet either. If I had already had a corner spot, I probably would have taken CES over Hoskins, mm-hmm. but I just felt with like kind of we talked about with Ellie, I like CES too. I'm definitely more worried about about playing time with with CES. Right. I don't think he's in danger. He, he's not going to the minors either. I don't. I don't think. Um, but there's. I mean, I've, there's much more of a scenario where he's playing. You know, five days a week. You know, getting yeah. 450, 500 plate appearances, which exactly. is so good. And he's got crazy power. Good lineup. Great park. Um, but it was. I guess it was just. I guess it doesn't. I guess it shouldn't matter, but it was just something mentally where I'm like, okay, my first corner player cannot be CES. I, need, I needed a little more stability. So if I had one, I might've, I might've flipped that and you might've ended up with Reese Hoskins. I actually, I saw the Duran news, um, but I was high on Duran anyway. And I kind of expected him yeah. to lead off. Um, but I wasn't expecting on having to take him that high, but there was just this like George Springer, Lane Thomas. I took Cedric Mullins. Santander, TJ Friedel, Ian Happ, Jackson Churia. There's a lot of outfielders that went and I kind of left me with like, if Duran also didn't make it to me, I would have just completely pivoted to a different position. Yeah. It's really interesting that both of you bring up Duran because I've noticed that he's been pushed up in the last handful of drafts that I've done and I haven't gotten him. And I am very high on Jaron Duran. I got him early in the season all the time. And I, I thought part of it might be the news that he's going to lead off, but I think it's also just people getting more into draft season and realizing what the potential is here and where the Red Sox are. It's just like, I love Jaron Duran where he's going right now and and he's going earlier and earlier. I expect him to be a mover this draft season. Um, The other thing that's really interesting here, Randy, I'm curious about it since you brought it up, the corner infield situation, your third baseman is Michael Garcia, which I love. Uh, I'm a, I'm a pretty big Michael Garcia fan. You got him. Is that the 15th round? I can't see the rounds in front of where 17th. 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 Tell me more about why that was your third baseman. Uh, so I'm in the corner question in whole. I think corner is very, very deep this year. If you're not getting one of the, especially first base, if you're not getting one of the elite guys in the first, uh, first, second round, I'm fine waiting. I like where Paul Goldschmidt is going. He's, in this draft, he went a little higher than he'd been going. Um, but in general, I like Paul Goldschmidt's price. But if I can't get him there, I'm just I'm waiting until the end because like my first baseman's Reese Hoskins. It could have been Christian Encarnacion Strand. It could have been Nate Lowe. Could have been Heimer Candelario. Like there were still some options. Uh, Vinny P went a couple of picks right before I took Reese Hoskins. So there's there's a lot of options at first base. Michael Garcia I like, but he actually pairs very well with Corey Seager. Because traditionally you would have the speed at short and the power at third. I think they kind of mesh. They, I think they, I wasn't like, I didn't take Corey Seager and like, oh, I got to make sure I get Michael Garcia. But I did, once I made that pick, I'm like, okay, there are a handful of third basemen that do run uh, more, you know, than just one or two steals a year. And I think, I think that just kind of pairs well because most most of my opponents in this league are going to have speed coming from short and power coming from third so i think that kind of i did take some other shots at third base later um just in case you know things don't don't pan out like i think they can with garcia i think he could have for a little more power he could maybe reach double digit home runs but the steals 
the steals uh, should be there, and I think that balances well with anybody. If you're taking Seager at short, I think he's a good target to have in the middle rounds. Yeah, I think that's a really great call out. And then Shelly, you were talking about missing out on um, Bobby Miller, but getting Bryce Miller. I, I wonder, you know, this relates back to one of the earlier debates we were talking about, about waiting on pitching a little bit. And I like what you did. I think Nola Sale and Bryce Miller is a really smart pairing because you wind up with like the stalwart guy who's going to start a lot. He's going to throw a ton of innings. He, he can, Nola can anchor a staff. Sale is the crazy upside guy as long as he's healthy. And most of the injuries have not been throwing injuries. You feel pretty good about Chris Sale as an undervalued ace. But Bryce Miller is sort of like, he's a little bit more boring. He pitches in a great park. I feel like you've, you've got a nice build of risk and risk management and upside here. What do you think about your pitching staff there? Um, I'm glad you like it better than I do. Um, <laughs> no, no, I, I think it's fine. I mean, you, you bring up like some, some really, really good points. Um, you know, Bryce Miller is like team green with like some pitches this off season. Um, obviously that could be smoke. We always hear about pitchers tinkering with splitter sliders, death balls, whatever you got going on. And then they don't <laughs> throw them, um, in games. So, you know, he's tinkering with stuff. Um, but I like what the Mariners are doing. Um, yeah, Chris Sale, who knows? Um, he he says that he's healthy. He said that this is like the healthiest he's been since like I think he said like 2019, 2021, something like that. So that's always good to hear. But uh yeah, uh we we shall see. Um yeah, I, I I'm not a fan of like my top pitching. Oh, as is evident <laughs> throughout this entire cast. <laughs> well, hopefully your hitting makes up for it. Randy, you get a one minute rebuttal and then we'll go to Shelly for her rebuttal before we do love it or leave it. I, uh, yeah, don't, I don't like having Bryce Miller jumped up in front of me. That's, that's kind of my rebuttal. Um, <laughs> or Jack Sawinski. I didn't know I felt so strongly about Jack Sawinski, but in the moment I was, <laughs> I was kind of upset. So don't, please don't do that again. <laughs> I didn't know I felt so strongly about Jack Sawinski is the perfect tagline for Snipe. Shelly, your rebuttal. Um, uh, yeah, um, maybe um, just go for a pitcher that you like when that was kind of your plan. Um, and don't just stick to your quote unquote values. Go maybe go get your guys. I mean, that's what I was saying in like the last that the last podcast, right? Oh, I always go get my guys and then I go draft and I don't get my guys. So <laughs> I'm all talk. <laughs> no, it is, easier, it is easier said than done. hundred percent. It's that fast clock. It like gets in your head and then you start second guessing the things that you knew you wanted to do. <laughs> We're going to close out the way we always do with some love it or leave it. So we've got some good stuff here. Randy is our guest. You get to go first. What do you love or Love or leave from baseball this week? Uh, I did two. I don't know if that's allowed, but I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, I put the love as the possible condensed free agent window that they're talking about. Um, I don't, I mean, it's, it's stupid that you have very good players still unsigned um, when spring training starts, but even in general, I don't like how from it's, everything's just so drawn out from November, December, January, and February. I like, I don't know how they could really do it. Like, I mean, I think Manfred said something like you have like a three week window and this is it. I don't really know if that could work, but could you just, you do something like that? I mean, the baseball could really kind of control, you know, 
the media there for a couple of weeks, especially if they did in December, the NFL playoffs haven't started yet. Uh, so I, I think they're kind of missing an opportunity. It's great for fans. And I would just, it would just be really nice selfishly for fantasy players to know like by new year's. Okay. We know where all the big, all the big free agents are trades. Obviously can still happen and whatnot, but, um, and I want to leave the probable expansion that it sounds like is happening in another, you know, six, seven years. I don't, I don't, I don't see the point. Like I'm nothing, no offense to the people of Nashville and, and Salt Lake city, Charlotte, whoever's going to get these teams, but I don't, I like things kind of the way they are. I don't know for sure that there's enough talent to go around for two more teams. I mean, we got some, you know, I mean, the A's are standing right over there. I mean, they're not a major league team. So imagine adding, imagine adding two more of those. So I don't no, not, not interested in expansion. Don't, don't like it. Not a fan. Yeah, I, I think it's wild that they're talking about expansion when they have the Rays are like, we can't be in our park that's like exactly. relatively new. Yeah. Nobody comes here. And the A's are like, can we please move to Las Vegas? But we can't actually yeah. get a lease in Vegas. Yeah. How can you expand? What Expand to where? And I will say, uh, I wrote a piece last year. I went to the World Baseball Classic in Miami. And I stand by every word of this piece. If you're going to expand somewhere, go somewhere where baseball is already beloved and like completely enthralls the population, expand in Mexico, expand to San Juan, expand in the Dominican Republic, do something that gets baseball where people dance and cheer and show up for it. I grew up in Utah. I went to school in Salt Lake city. Salt Lake city is great. It does not need a baseball team. (laughs) (laughs) Nashville is a great city too. A good friend of mine uh, lived there for a few years and we went down there a few times. It, it's a blast and they probably they probably would be okay for for a baseball for any professional any professional sports team but for a baseball team but like but yeah we've got some teams that are just they're kind of struggling and you know yeah i don't don't think they need it i don't think we need it totally with you on that shelly what's your love it or leave it this week um i'm gonna go with a leave it um it's kind of i think a universal leave it like even if like you talk to like players um is the new uh uniforms that look <laughs> atrocious <laughs> um i mean they just look i i'm just gonna say they look like a jersey that i i have in my closet like multiple jerseys um i don't think that that is what major league players should wear um some people find some of the players have said that they found them uncomfortable uh, but yeah, I don't know who who checked that off over at Fanatics or Nike mm-hmm. or whomever. Maybe both companies g- gave the check off, but they're 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 bad. They're just uh, it bad. shouldn't be it shouldn't be a it, it shouldn't be a topic like how it's twenty twenty four. How are we screwing up uniforms? Like I one hundred I one hundred percent have an authentic Adam Jones jersey from two thousand and like thirteen that is I know nicer than what they're wearing on the field right now like 100 percent. i i can't believe this happened i don't understand how you redo the jerseys (laughs) and all the players show up at spring training like we hate this and some of the complaints like how do you not market test this or at least get like some buy-in before you do the thing some of the complaints are so basic dansby swanson was out there like this is not cubs blue your blue is wrong as a person (laughs) who does communications work for my day job if somebody used the wrong blue in our brand kit on Canva, we would have words. And I'm like, MLB and Nike used the wrong blue on the Cubs jersey. Like, I don't even understand how that happens. But the second part of this, I could not agree with this more. 
it reminds me of the Seinfeld episode where George decides that the yeah. jerseys should be like made out of cotton and the mm -hmm. players, they all shrink, right? It's like, yeah. you should not be a Seinfeld episode. So they, yeah. they need to get on top of that one <laughs> uh, for sure. I I've got to love it this week. Um, Terry Francona and Joe Madden are narrating a replay of game seven of the 2016 World Series on Thursday night on MLB Network. And I don't think I've ever needed anything more than to hear those two dudes in particular talk through one of the greatest games of baseball that has ever been played. Admittedly, I'm a Cubs fan, so I'm, I'm a little biased here. But I think most people agree that that World Series, because of the drama, because the Cubs hadn't won in 108 years and the, guard, the now Guardians, previously Indians, had never won and all of the history and all of the stuff. Like, it was a dramatic series anyway. The Cubs came back from being down three games to one. They jumped out to an early lead. The game gets tied. It goes into extras. The whole thing is just incredible baseball drama. But Joe Madden and Tito are such good storytellers, and they're great managers. And we get to listen to them talk through all of the decision points in this game. And so if you've not already set your TiVos for Thursday night to listen to Tito and Joe talk through game seven of the 2016 world series, I, this consider this your public service announcement. I'm surprised Tito's doing that. Like he's a, better, he's a better person than I am. I'm a sore loser. There's you couldn't pay me enough money to do that. Good for him. Well, and, and don't you think the back and forth between him and Joe is going to be worth it? Oh yeah. 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 You know, I'm just Definitely. in general, I'm surprised he's going to be like, Oh yeah. Yeah. I lost. Yeah. Game seven. We lost. Here I am going to talk about it seven years later, eight years later. Great stuff. Uh, thank you both so much for joining me. Another wonderful episode of Fantasy Feud in the books. Randy, uh, what are you working on? Where can people find you? I'm on Twitter at FreeAndyHaines22. Uh, like I said, I don't, don't really have a job uh, in the industry or anything, but I will be uh, this year on the Pool Hitter podcast with Rob DiPietro breaking down the Champions League qualifier standings. Um, we're going to try to do it every week, but things come up. We're going to be doing it fairly regularly enough to keep everybody keep everybody involved. Um, and if it's something you think you maybe want to dive in next year, see how it goes, it'd be a good way to track how things are going and all the different strategies they're going to go into that even more than just a, than just a regular rotisserie league. So that's, that's what I'll be doing. I think that is 100% a very important industry job. I'm fascinated by all things Champions League. I'll be listening to y'all every chance I get. Uh, Shelly, where can people find you and what are you working on? Oh uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Shelly V underscore six four three. Um, all my stuff is over at uh, Roto Worlds. Um, I do a weekly, um, you know, uh, free agent kind of thing going on in the winter. I haven't had anything really to write about all winter. I've been saying this. I think every single episode, I'm hoping for someone to sign. So I can have someone to write about because it seems like it's been forever since Shohei Otani signed and I wrote that up. So it's, uh, yeah. So yeah, just go check out Roto World. We have a whole lot of great articles. A lot of guys over there are doing some really great stuff. Boris client signing incoming. And yeah, shout out to Randy because we do need a signing day in MLB. It's absurd that we have all these players who could make an impact on our favorite teams and they're twiddling their thumbs waiting to find out if they're going to get a few more million dollars 
on their contract. Uh, you can find me at BCB underscore Sarah. My writing is at Baseball HQ for the fantasy side of things and at Bleed Cubby Blue for the Cubs side of things uh, and here at Pitcher List on Fantasy Feud. Next week, we will be back looking at the Tout Wars Crazy Categories League. I'm pretty excited to talk about that one. And then in a couple of weeks, we'll have um, some special guests on to hash out some fantasy debates of their own. So make sure you're following so you never miss an episode. Leave us a five-star review and a rating if you enjoy the show so other people can find it. And until next time.